it's us. <laughs> so excited for today, and thank you for letting us spend a little time there. I, I know we're going long, but I felt it was very appropriate, and it would have been highly irresponsible of us to send away my bride without covering her in prayer. But this is us, by the way. This is us. I, I get it. There is that hit TV show. Anybody watched the hit TV show from back in the day? I watched it once. I cried. I said, I have enough things in my life that make me cry. I don't need another thing to make me cry. So that was it. I, I was one and done, but that's not what we're talking about today. So whether you like that show or hate it, it'll never be brought up again in this series. But this is us. Jesse and I, Pastor Jesse, my co-pastor, I love Jesse, but he and I, we were talking. We're like, man, we, we got to get to the word and figure out what this is all about. Like we want scripture. We want the Bible to speak again to why did you come in 16 degree weather on a Sunday morning? Like what are you doing here? And we wanted to really try to explain again from scriptures what it means to be us, the body of Christ, his church. I think also this, this series is coming at a very timely time at LifeSpring. Like, look around. God is doing something. This is exciting. I mean, just take it. I mean, seriously, look around. Look at the, you probably don't even know the people that are around you. This is awesome. And I'm excited that God is doing what he's doing. But again, I think if we're going to be a part of this, whatever this is, we better not try to do it on our own. Does that make sense? We're like, well, what does Dan think? Or what does Jim think? Or what? No, no, no. We better be like, what does the Lord think about us? So can we just pray? And we're going to start this thing right. Lord, this is us, that we are followers of you, Jesus, and because we serve you, Jesus, because we follow you, Jesus, uh, we will do the things that we're going to talk about in the next five weeks. And I just pray that this series would be fresh and new, that in a very special way you would wake us up, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you are saying and all that you are doing. Lord, I pray that at the end of these five weeks, we would be on fire. I love what Pastor Jeremy said, that this place would be fire, the fire of your spirit, and that it would begin to permeate the darkness like never before, that our community and even this world would see salvation come in the mighty name of Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here you go. Today, church, we love. Everybody say, we love. This is us. We love it. And to get it going, to have a little bit of fun, I wanted to play a little game. And this game is to see how well you know me. So, Steve, go ahead and roll it. Oh, this is going to be fun. Okay. So, ten things that Dan loves. You're going to have to shout these things out, and hopefully I can hear you. Uh, So, someone said the Mariners. Is Mariners correct? Oh, Mariners was correct. Someone said the Lord. Is the Lord correct? Anybody else? Exercise. Ooh, is exercise on there? Was exercise on? I think exercise was on there. Running, walking, coffee. I do love coffee. It's not on there. Chocolate chip cookies. Man, this list needs to be longer. What did you say? Is the church on there? Does Dan love the church? Uh Uh-oh. Oh, he loves the church. All right, what else? Fam- someone said family. Someone said Mary. Is, is any of that on there? Oh. Is family or Mary on there? Oh, there it is. Oh, no, no, no. Is Kenny G on there? Yeah, there we go. 
All right, there's a couple of food items in here that you haven't gotten yet. What is it? Cheesecake. My wife knows me. Do I love cheesecake? Yes, I love cheesecake. Oh, there's another one. It, no, oh man, so I do love split peas too. I'm thinking more like it has a great value menu. Um, it has breakfast and lunch and dinner. Does Dan love Taco Bell? Yeah, Kelly Putman. Woo, Kelly knows me. All right. Oh, uh, my favorite TV show. Does anyone know what my favorite TV show is? <laughs> He said, this is us. No, no one's going to get this. Maybe my wife will know this one. No, what's my, oh, I do like, oh, I'm not going to, I can't admit that I like that one. I, I do like that one. Now, what's my favorite show? I've watched, there's two seasons. I've watched every episode. Watched the every episode a couple of times. I'm not going to answer that one. I'm just going to keep that to myself. We'll, 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 maybe I'll bring it up. Think about it. <laughs> I love the chosen. That would have been a very holy answer. I do love the chosen, but it didn't make the top ten. Um, no, 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 no. The goes wrong show. There it is. The goes wrong shows. Everyone's like, "What are you talking about?" Let's see. What else did you guys miss? You missed. Um, I, I love Disney World, so that's my tenth one. Well, I wanted to do that. I wanted to have a little fun with that. Thank you. That was great, Steve. Can we thank Steve for putting together those graphics? So much fun. But I wanted to highlight something with that little exercise about the word love. Have you noticed that we use the word love a lot? Like we throw it around. Like in our culture, we're always talking about loving this and loving that. But when we say what Dan loves, really what are we talking about? We're talking about like what Dan enjoys, right? What Dan likes, what uh, makes me happy, Taco Bell, like I, I love taco. I love, oh, I love, I mean, just talking about it. I can't wait after church. Just go, you go to the drive-thru, get in like 30 seconds. I mean, who, what is not the love about Taco Bell? And by the way, they are not paying me to say any of this. I am not sponsored by Taco Bell. But LifeSpring, when I say that at LifeSpring we love, can we just agree that that's not what we're talking about? That when I say we love, I'm actually talking about First John 4.19. That because Jesus loved me, I love others. That we love because he first loved us. The love that I'm talking about is an action verb. Everybody say action verb. It's an action verb. Again, it's not just some ethereal, mystical love that's floating around in my heart. It's actually a love that gets played out in the real world with real words in real time in real action. Like it's physical action towards another person. Think of it this way. If you're taking notes, write this down. I think this word is so good. It's love that is demonstrated. Demonstrated. It's an action verb. Demonstrated. You know the verse, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's love in action. While you and I were still sinners, God demonstrated his love in a real physical way by Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. Now, as Jesus followers, and if you're a Jesus follower, that means you're someone who has faith and belief in Jesus, but it's faith and belief in Jesus that is walked out in obedience, right? That's what it means to follow Jesus. If you're not obeying him, then you're not following him. You just say you like him or you believe in him, but you're not believing him in a way that actually 
walks it out in obedience. So that's what you mean when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, meaning I believe in him and I love him and I follow his commands. Well, guess what? This is his command. As he has loved you, you love one another. That's his command. That's what he says in John 13, 34. As I have loved you, so love one another. Can we just admit, right at the very beginning of this message, that we have a pretty high calling in Jesus? Does that feel like a high standard? Anybody else? Does that feel like a high standard of love? It reminds me of a passage I read at every marriage ceremony that I do. If you want me to marry you guys, I'd love to do that. But I'm going to read this at your wedding. It goes from Ephesians 5.25. And it says, Husbands, love your wives. Not as the world loves. I'm putting that part in. But no, as Christ loves. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Can we just admit that that would be a pretty high calling? Because how much does Jesus love his church? He died for her. Again, we're not just talking about cheesecake or the mariners. We're talking about love and action, laying down your life for another. Jesus himself declares this in John fifteen thirteen: Greater love, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Mm, a higher calling. Think about how that needs to get expressed in your life. What does that look like? Not here up on stage on a Sunday morning when we're all putting on our pretty mask and our facade, but like in real life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what does that look like in your marriage? What does that look like at your job, in your business? What does that look like in your everyday life? I was talking to Marcy Mayer earlier. I'm a thinker. I said, I can't get my thinker to stop thinking. It just thinks all the time. One of the things I think about is this. I'm so happy that God is loving. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because he's God. Like, he's God. He's, he's the all supreme being of the universe. And I'm so thankful that he is loving. That God is loving. It didn't have to be that way. But aren't you thankful today? That God is loving. And here's the deal. God loves, and it's even better than that. God loves us. God loves you. You see that at the very beginning, don't you, with the Garden of Eden? You see that with Adam and Eve? He, he loves them. And even after they fall, he still loves them. He, he loves us. He's shown us for the history of humanity that even in our fallenness, even in our rebellion and our wickedness, but out of his love for us, it's, it, this is better than good church out of his love for us before even the foundations of this world, his salvation plan was already in place because why? Because he loves you. Can I get an amen this morning? See, Jesus says again, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Two verses later, keep reading. This is what he says. And he says, and I have called you friends. Wow. He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And yet two verses later, he says to his disciples, he says, and I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus, like God, the son, Jesus, in whom all things were created For whom all things were created. Like Jesus, he calls you friend. And Jesus laid down his life for his friends. You're a friend of God. Somebody say, I am a friend of God. You don't believe it, do you? Say it again. I am a friend of God. 
And by the way, it's not a friendship like Facebook. I used to do that thing. I hope that thing would just die because the weird thing was, it was just so weird. Like you got into this cyber world where all of a sudden I had all these friends. And I'm like, oh, I am so popular. Like everyone's my friend. And then you would post something. You remember what happened when you post? Now, if it was just like, I love chocolate, you're like, oh, and you're my friend and I'm your friend and we all love chocolate. But then you posted something. Remember what you posted? A little more controversial, a little more, you know, uh. and what did that person do? The person that was your friend, they unfriended you. They, they, they unfriended you. Listen to me. The love that God has for you, it is not a Facebook love. You are not Facebook friends with God. No, it's a friendship. Come on, this is truth today. It is a friendship that is so strong that he was willing to lay down his life for you. Come on, church. Like, this is love. This is the love we're talking about, that God so loved you, that even while you were still sinners, even when you were his enemy, God loved you. Amen? Amen. And not only, Scripture says not only is he loving, Scripture tells us he is love. Isn't that good? He, he, he is love. So if you cut down to the depths of who he is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he is love. In the same passage that you find 1 John four nineteen, John, who wrote John, he says some pretty incredible things about God and his love. I'm going to read this. And if you can at all, just pay attention. Sometimes when we start reading the Bible, we just kind of go into another world. But if we can really focus and, and even pay attention to this theme of love as I read 1 John. Uh, we're going to start. Let's start at verse 7 and we're going to go all the way through 21. So this is what John says. John John says, dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because what? God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how he demonstrated it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Praise the Lord. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Wow, you could ponder that for years. That's incredible. This is how we know that we live in him and that he lives in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. And they in God. Isn't that incredible? You acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God? God's in you and you're in God. And so we know and we rely on God's love, the love that he has for us. Again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Say it with me. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Say it again. We love because he first loved us. But verse 20, whoever claims to love yet hates a brother or sister, you're a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's a higher calling of love, isn't it? Anyone challenged yet a little bit? Anyone convicted yet? Lord, speak into your heart. Church, this is us. We love. We love. And as much as that is like a basic, fundamental tenet of our faith, like it's the core of who we are, it continues to be something that I, Daniel Birch, continue to struggle with more than just about anything else. So you want to know what I'm talking about? I struggle with loving God and I struggle with loving others. I, I want to say I was perfect in this. I wish I was perfect in this. And though I'm more loving today than I was yesterday, and praise the Lord because of his work in my life, I'm more loving today than I was a year ago. If I'm honest, and if you're honest, we still got a long ways to go. Anybody else? But then maybe you're like, well, you know, that's a John thing. And John was just having a love day. And so he just wrote all that love stuff. It's not just a John thing. It's, it's a Jesus thing. In fact, you guys know it. It's like one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. It's called the greatest commandment. Have you heard of it? This is Jesus. So you, you find this in Matthew and this expert of the law, he comes in and he tests Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a bold statement. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, he's speaking to a group of Pharisees. Pharisees, some of them scribes, some of them legal experts. These are people who are really into following the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, so just think Hebrew scriptures, the law, meaning the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets. And, and, and these people, like they're spending all the time, they're, they're teaching in synagogues, they're interpreting Torah or they're interpreting the law. And, and then, again, one of them comes in, he wants to test Jesus. You know, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And, again, the answer, love the the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, an expert of the law kind of digs in a little deeper and says, well, who's my neighbor? Right? Well, yeah, sure, we're supposed to love our neighbor, but who actually technically is my neighbor? And this is when you get another one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Have you guys heard the parable of the Good Samaritan? Right? There's a man. He is attacked by robbers. He's badly beaten. It says he's left half dead. A pretty uh, gruesome, you know, brutal experience. And yet the story tells us that he's approached by a priest. He's approached by a Levite. Two men that would kind of be some of the religious all-stars of the day. And yet do they come and help the man? No. In fact, they kind of just go to the other side of the street. And yet who helps him? Jesus says the Samaritan helps him. The Samaritan, that, that would have caused a reaction. Samaritans despised by most of the Jewish people in that day. So a Samaritan becomes the hero of the story. And he begins to care for this man. I mean, he really loves this man. He's bandaging his wounds. He brings him to this inn. He, he, uh, he pays the innkeeper to take care of this man. It's a great parable, and it's so good. And don't you just love Jesus? Because he takes whatever concept these experts of the law had about love and, and loving your neighbor, and he just blows it out of the water, doesn't he? He takes it to another level. 
I love what Martin Luther King Jr. says about this parable. This is such a good quote. He says, I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levi asked was, well, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But Martin Luther King Jr. says, but by the very nature of his concern, the good Samaritan reverses the question and asks, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Isn't that good? That's the love we've been called to, church. It's a greater love. It's a greater love. And again, I wish that as I read that parable, I could say, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm always going across the street. I mean, that's how I love. But again, I have a long, long way to go. But that's why I'm excited about today, and I'm excited about the next 25, 30 minutes, because here we are. The Bible's pretty clear. You got to love God. You got to love people, a higher calling, a higher standard. And this is us. We love. It's a non-negotiable part of the Christian faith. We all know the song. We sang it in Sunday school. They will know we are Christians by our love. And yet I got a long, long way to go. And so do you. So what do we do? What do we do? And the danger would be for any of us to leave here and be like, well, I guess I just got to try harder to love. Got to, you know, follow Jesus' commands. And so I guess I'm going to go out there and I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to go love people. Please don't do that. <laughs> That's not going to work. I mean, maybe I'm not going to look at anyone right now, but maybe you goody two shoes out there. Like maybe you could last a day. But others of you, like you might make it until the Packers beat the Cowboys tonight and then you're going to get all grumpy. Others of you, you're going to make it until you get to Ranchitos or Puerto Vallarta and the waiter gets your food order wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Others of you, you're going to be really, really loving until that jerk cuts you off on the way home on I-5 or 167. Some of you, you're not even going to make it out of this room without saying or doing something that isn't very loving. (laughs) Right? And I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) But can we just acknowledge that? Just trying harder, it doesn't work. The love that God requires of us, the love he commands us to show, it's not possible with willpower, grit, and determination. We just got done reading through the Bible again. And and I love reading through the entire Bible because as you read through the Old Testament, you actually get glimpses, like these rare glimpses of people living out God's commands, right? Perfectly. It's just like these flashes of brilliance, people walking out obedience, walking out perfect justice and righteousness, even love. And yet, come on, as you read, even the greatest people, the greatest figures in that Old Testament, they have moments, but they all fall woefully short. So from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, again and again, glimpses, right? Glimpses, and you're even reading, you're like, oh, here we go. And yet they fall short. And yet, Life Spring, I want you to hear this. We are not living in the Old Testament. We are in 2024, which means we are on the other side of the cross and the grave. This is so important that we remember this. And it's important that you remember who you are and whose you are. Because unlike every other person that I just mentioned, you're on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection. Are you, are you tracking with what I'm talking about? See, on this side of the cross, you serve, you follow the risen Christ. That means you serve the one who they longed for. 
And by the way, Christ is not his last name. When we say Jesus Christ, Christ, Christ meaning Messiah, Christ meaning the anointed one, the chosen one, that he's the perfect son of man. He's the perfect Israel. He's the perfect temple. He's the perfect priest. He's the perfect prophet. He's the perfect king. You're on this side of Messiah coming. Messiah came. He has come. He initiated. He established a new covenant What? Through his life, death, and resurrection, through his sacrifice. And this is us, by the way. We, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you put your faith in the Son of God, we are a new covenant people. A new covenant under the new covenant of his blood. That is who we are. And see, in this new covenant, we don't just try harder to to love. Oh, what fools we would be to just try harder to love. Now, under the new covenant, listen, I hope we're paying attention today. In the new covenant, we don't just try harder. In fact, we do the opposite. Instead of trying harder, actually, we surrender. In the new covenant, we say, you know what? Frank Sinatra got it wrong. Like, my way, it's not working. In fact, I cannot even get out of the parking lot without saying something stupid or mean to my neighbor. And so in this new covenant, we make the conscious decision. And God's not going to make this decision for you. We are not robots, and you have free will. But because of the new covenant, of what Jesus has done, you and I make the conscious decision to surrender. To say, who I am without Christ, who I am outside of Christ. I'm going to let it all die. I'm letting it die. Like who I once was, who I am without Christ, I am laying it all down. Because you know what? I'm ready for Jesus to rule and reign from the inside out. I'm ready for the Holy Spirit, the same power who raised Jesus from the inside out, uh, raised Jesus from the dead. I'm ready for him to dwell in me and move in me from the inside out. I'm ready for the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings to have his way in my life. Move in me and through me today. See, if I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, guess what? I need Jesus, and so do you. You need the Lord. I love what Pastor Jeremy said. This is a Jesus place. This is a place where we have permission to cry out to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need help. Lord, I need help. Lord, I need you. I need you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, I need your help. It is okay to physically cry out to the Lord to say, God, I, if I'm ever going to love others as you have first loved me, then God, come into my life and help me. Move in my life. Move in me. Move in your power. Move in your power. And at that point, Steve Dalton, he's actually helping with the nursery today. But at that point, Steve would say, Amen. We say this at the end of every service, don't we, about his power. It's so important that we understand what we're saying when we say it. We don't want it just to be a religious exercise or some ritual. No, what do we say? We say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, immeasurably more. Do you know what that means? It means it's immeasurably more, like you can't measure it. It's him who is able to do how much more? Like, you can't measure it, church. You can't. It's more than you ask. It's more. Isn't God good? Don't you love Jesus? How much more? It's how, how much more, church? Immeasurably more. I want you to hear that. Feel that on your heart. It's more than you could ask, more than you could imagine. But how does he do it? It says, according to his power. And where is his power at work? Within us. Within us. He does immeasurably more than you could ask measurably more than you can imagine 
And how does he do it? He does it by his power that is at work in you. So how do you love your neighbor? With the love of Christ. How do you love your enemy? With the love of Christ. Well, sure ain't by my power. You ever try to do that in your power? It never works. And yet by his power, his power that is at work. Anybody else getting goosebumps yet? By his power that is at work within me, I can do it. I can do it. I can do even more. I can do immeasurably more. But why and how? By his power in me. Again, life spring, it's not you. It's not your grit. It's not your determination. It's not your effort and willpower. It is the Lord. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. By the way, you know that. If you're a Christian here today, you know it's Jesus. You know that. Because think about it. I'll prove it to you. Think about it. There was a time in your life, you probably had this happen several times, where you, you, you had somebody, they treated you a certain way, they talked to you a certain way, just something happened. And it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. You ever just talk to someone, you're like, they are talking to me like a crazy person. And, and, and you had this temptation. You, you thought about yelling at them. You're like, I'm just about to give you something. And, and you thought about that, didn't you? You had a scream. A scream was about to come out of your mouth. But instead, do you remember what you actually did? You didn't yell at them. You didn't scream at them. You were calm. You were collected. You started like saying like words that were full of compassion and love. You were caring. And, and then like maybe a third person was next to you or maybe you went home and talked to that third person. They're like, wow, like how did, I would have just punched. But how did you do that? How, do you remember what you said? The next thing you said. He said, oh, man, that, that wasn't me. Like, in my flesh, like, this is what I wanted to do. But that was Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, if you're a Christian here today? Oh, man, no way could have I done that. That was the Lord. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. And why? Why could you do that? Because Jesus changed your life. Jesus came in and he changed your life. You're not the same person as you once were. We got to understand this when we're talking about being a Christian. We're not just talking about like, you know, morals and and being a nice person and those types of things. We're talking about a new way to be human. You have been radically changed. It is a metamorphosis. If you don't understand that, you got to get back into the Bible. If you don't have that, that is a foundational truth of what it means to be a Christian. That you have been radically changed in Jesus. You don't just try on Jesus and stay the same. Jesus changes everything. Look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, so if you believe in Jesus, believe in him as son of God. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, guess what? You're a new creation. Somebody say, I am a new creation. Amen. The old things, where did they go? Yeah. And the new things, they have come. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I died. But I'm still here. So how am I still here? Well, Christ lives in me. My life. It's found in Christ. The, the life that I now live in the body, he says, it's all about Jesus. It's all about faith in the Son of God. Please don't compartmentalize your faith. If you're a Christian here today, stop compartmentalizing your faith. Christ is everything. Christ is all. He's in all. He is all. Christ is your life. You were dead, and yet he breathed new life into you. You live your whole life from morning till night. May it be lived for Jesus, for the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. This is the truth of God for your life. Jesus changes everything. And so that new covenant that Jesus established and initiated, that new covenant, it's better than you could ever imagine. 
Listen to this, the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews, is that in the Old Testament or the New Testament? The New Testament. It's going to quote Jeremiah. Is Jeremiah in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Old, man, you guys are good. You guys must be a part of the reading plan. That's pretty good. So the New Testament is about to quote the Old Testament. It's going to quote Jeremiah 31. By the way, this is the longest quotation of the Old Testament that is found in the New Testament. So you think it might be kind of important that we understand what's going on here. So let's read this. And, and again, we're New Testament believers in Jesus. And by the way, as New Testament believers in Jesus, we have what those Old Testament believers in God could only wish for, could only long for, who were praying for. Listen to this quote. It comes again, the book of Hebrews, quoting Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant. I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you catch what he said, by the way? He said, In the new covenant, this is radical. <laughs> Again, this isn't just learning how to be a nicer person. This is radical stuff, a new way to be human. Because he says in the new covenant, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. So think of those Pharisees. Again, those Pharisees that question Jesus, the Pharisees who are in a very external way are trying to follow the law. In a very external way are trying to follow Torah through works, through efforts, through grit, through determination. And yet God comes in and says, no, the new covenant found in my son, it's going to be an internal work. I'm going to put my Torah, my laws inside of you where actually following my commands and doing my will, it's going to come naturally. In fact, it's going to be like second nature. Again, from the inside out. Wow. Now that's pretty amazing. Have I arrived to that place in my life where God's will and my will are in perfect alignment? Anybody in this room? Actually, my flesh is still pretty strong. So I would have to say no. But I will say this, and you could even ask my wife this. Though I haven't arrived, I'm growing. I'm growing in this. And church, I want to encourage you today. If you're a Christian and if you are open to what he wants to do in your life, guess what? So are you. You're growing in this. As you and I remember, remembering is so important. But as we remember the covenant that Jesus initiated with his death and resurrection, you can remember that you are a new creation. I had, had you say that out loud, like with your words into the atmosphere, because some of you needed to hear yourself say that. Because you have been tempted to believe the lie that you are not a new creation. You have been tempted and you have even succumbed to that temptation to act like your old self. To think like your old self. In your marriage, in your job, with the things you're drinking, with the things you're smoking. You've just convinced yourself that the old is still there. That your, your old self and the new na- nature never came. And yet, listen again. You are a, this is the Father's heart for you today. He demonstrated his love for you by sending his son to die for you. And if you said yes to Jesus right now, you are a new creation. You are beautiful. 
You're holy. You're forgiven. Set free. You're new. You're new. You have the laws and commands of God written on your heart and your mind. Yes, you might have been making poor choices, but that is not who you are. That is not. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember right now, like right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're a new creation. Your new self, like in your new redeemed nature. Just be reminded by the Spirit right now that in who you are in Christ, that your new nature, your new heart, that your greatest desire, your greatest longing is what? It's not to sin. It's not to rebel. No, in your new nature, your desire, your longing of your heart is to please the Father. It's to do the will of God, which includes, by the way, to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, if you want to put something on my tombstone, it's just that people would remember who and whose they are. Because if you're a Christian here this morning, like right now, right now, right now, like right now you are living out Ezekiel's prophecy. You, you know the one, Ezekiel 36, 26. This is the Lord. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put in a new spirit. This is what Jesus did for you, church. Be encouraged this morning. But he goes on, he says, and I will also remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what Jesus has done for you. Can I get an amen? He's given you a new heart, church. He's given you a new spirit. But did you catch that? He also removed something. He removed that heart of stone. He removed something. You ever think about that? Think about like, I mean, you were trapped, like you were stuck. There was no way out, stuck in your sins, trapped in your old way of living. I love the way that Lucinda talked about their marriage. It was irreparable. And yet the Lord, I just love what he does because we need something removed. We need something cut off. And that's what he does. If you go way back again into the Torah, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses says this, he says, circumcise your hearts. And do not be stiff-necked any longer. Now, we all know what circumcision is. I'm not bringing out a chart for this one. Circumcision. Moses says, that's what you need. And you need a circumcision. It's not physical. It's, it's your heart. You're stiff-necked, he says. You're rebellious. And so you need a spiritual circumcision, something cut off to heal your heart. Right? More than anything, you know that. If you, if you said yes to Jesus, you, you knew that you needed that. You needed him to change your heart. You needed a healing to take place in your heart. And as you read the New Testament, oh man, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. Whew! So powerful. Colossians chapter 2. Look at this, church. This is what Jesus has done. It says, In Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, No, your whole self ruled by the flesh. And we all know what that's like, right? But he says your whole self ruled by the flesh. It was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God came in. And he cut something off. He made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. 
Hallelujah. Life Spring, has the Lord touched your heart? And you don't get to answer that for the person next to you, but in your life, did he do something? Did he do something in your life? I've always been so confused by people that come once or twice and are like, yeah, I love Jesus. And then the, you never see him again. I was like, well, what did, did, what did Jesus do? What, what actually happened? Or was it just like you try Taco Bell and you try McDonald's, you try Burger King, you go to the one that you like the most. No, like what has Jesus done for you? Because Jesus changes everything. He cut something. And where there was death, there's now life. A circumcision. Think again, what has the Lord done for you? I talked about this last Sunday. What has the Lord done for you? Has there been a circumcision that took place in your flesh, in your heart? And again, I want this to be an encouraging message because I'm here to tell you, if you've got Jesus in your life, then that's what Jesus has done for you. As we close, I want to make this so clear. If you've got Jesus in your life, if you've said yes to him as your Lord and Savior, if if you believe that he is the Son of God, this is what he's already done. And anything else is a lie from the devil himself. So if you're a believer here today, and yet you find yourself in a place where in your heart you can't love your spouse, or you find in your heart you can't forgive that person that's wronged you, or you find in your heart you can't be gracious or merciful toward your coworker or your boss, it's just because you're believing the lie and you've forgotten who you are. Remember who you are. You have been circumcised. You've changed. You're different. You've got the heart of Christ. You've got the spirit of Christ. And you've got the love of Christ pulsating through your veins. Hallelujah. And sure, come on. I'm right there with you, church. Yeah, that old nature's still hanging around. It's lurking. Sure, there's going to be times when we're all tempted to act like the world acts. But you can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, remember who and whose you are. You can remember by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you that Jesus did something for you when he came into your life. You've been changed. You've been radically changed. You've been given a new spirit. You've been given a new heart. You're living under a new covenant where by his power, you have the power to follow his commands. And by the way, 1 John 5, 3 tells us this, that his commands are not burdensome. That's what John says. His commands are not burdensome. His commands, again, are the desire of your heart. As you consider Jesus, the one who calls you friend, as you consider Jesus, what he's done for you, even laying down his life for his friends. Listen, from a place of joy and delight, from a place of just knowing I have the privilege in Christ by his power, his power that is able to do immeasurably more than I ask or imagine by his power with a changed, circumcised heart, I can choose, I can make the conscious decision by your power to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind and to love my neighbor as myself. Church, this is us. We love. We love. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you pray with me? Church, let's pray to the Lord. God, Holy Spirit, you are here. You're you're moving in this place. I'm so excited about your move in my life. Because you're, you're, you're able to convict me. You're able to challenge me. And yet at the same time, you're not here to condemn me. 
you're able to challenge and convict in a way that brings me and moves me forward into the abundant life that you died for. And I pray that over this room that we would take seriously your words today. We would not let them just go in one ear and out the other. But we'd be sensitive to your word. That something happened when Jesus came into our life. That the old has passed away. And that the new has come. And though we are still tempted to act and speak like our old selves, by your Spirit's power living inside of us, you have given us the power to live a new way of being human. A new way. A new way where we can even love our enemies. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us today. Help us today. Even as I'm praying, church, there might be a person that comes to mind. A situation that comes to mind. And I, I want to encourage you in this moment. I, I think sometimes our, our temptation is to try to fix that thing. But I don't think this is a moment where the Lord is asking you to do anything, really. There's, there's no fixing in this moment. But it is to examine the condition of your heart when you think of that person. And this, again, isn't something you do. This isn't by your grit, willpower, or determination. But as you lay it down, as you drop your weapons, as you surrender, I believe this right now, Holy Spirit, you are giving people the power to love, to have a heart that is for people and not against them, a heart that is able to be soft towards those who have done wrong. Lord, help us right now. Change our hearts. Change my heart. Lord, I repent. I repent of any time that I've desired or wished ill will toward anyone. Lord, we repent. We repent for any thing of my flesh that has creeped up and, and risen and anytime I've given it oxygen to, to seek harm toward another human made in your image, we repent, Lord. Lord, let there be a fresh wind in this place right now, 2024, a fresh wind, a fresh wa- a fire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That your spirit would rise up in us again where the dead things would remain dead and the things that are new and growing would just begin to find oxygen and nourishment and water and sunshine and the new things of your spirit and the new things of your kingdom and the new things of your new covenant would begin to flourish and grow and there would be a garden, a true garden of life that would rise up at life spring like never before. A garden where we have learned how to love people and to love you, God, not by our own power, but by your power. Your power that is within us. That we would step back in 2025 and say, look what my God has done. Incredibly, exceedingly, immeasurably more than we could have asked or imagined. By His power within us. Hallelujah. They will know we are Christians by our love. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Only you can make that possible. So have your way. Have your way. Amen.